Morning, everyone. Lovely to be with you today. Hopefully I'm in the right place in the, in the image with the words that will come and it all makes sense. And these kind of white things here that look like candles that aren't lit. Um, it's, it's a new year. Here we are. Um, let's pray. Lord God, I just want to thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Jane's testimony and just the incredible way that you have worked in Dan's life, the way that you've opened doors and the, the perfection of your timing. We thank you for the ways that, that we have seen that in our lives. Lord, I just pray you bring them to people's minds now. Times when we've seen just things fall into place in your perfect timing. Lord, we give you the glory. We thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, I pray now as I speak that you, that you would touch us, that you would touch us from your word, Lord God, that you would bring us closer to you. Amen. So today I'm preaching from just four verses in Matthew chapter 8, and as I've spent time preparing this sermon, you'll find most of it focuses on just two of those verses, which I believe take us deeply into what an encounter with Jesus means. As I've meditated on it, I can honestly say Jesus' love and gentleness has taken my breath away. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, if you've picked up your Bible to read this, as opposed to just seeing the words underneath, uh, you may have the subheading, Jesus heals many. Now, these subheadings uh, are not inspired scripture. They were added by translators to sort of make, organize the material well. I have to say this one I find woefully inadequate. Uh, I think you have all permission to just put a line through it and put something better. Uh, these are the two reasons why it really misses the mark. The first one is those last two verses, verses 16 to 17, when evening came, and, and yes, many came, and there is that word many. But what does Jesus do? He heals all, all who are ill. Many sounds like he you know, healed some and not others. All. So he casts out the demons with a word and he heals all of the spirits, that, all of the people who need healing. Here is Jesus undertaking his public ministry, a laser-like focus on what he came to do. Healing the sick, driving out spirits. His authority was evident to all. And that's why we, we read earlier in Matthew 4 that news is spreading from, people are coming from Galilee, Syria, beyond. News is spreading about Jesus. And the Bible tells us why this was happening, or Matthew, the writer, brings out the importance of this to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Now, this is the prophet Isaiah, and actually, when we read that verse, I wonder how many of us think, oh, he took up our infirmities. We often think of that in a more of a metaphorical sense on the cross. Why do we do that? Well, in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, we read those same verses being used. So Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. A very well-known verse. So there, that same passage in Isaiah is being used. The words are slightly different. Um, I will actually read that the actual verse. This is all from the uh, NIV I'm reading from. The actual verses in Isaiah say, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. An incredibly powerful passage. So what's happening here? What we can see is that whilst we often look at the cross and the way that God takes all of our sins on him, all of our infirmities, all of our our bad, our wrongdoing, here he's doing it in a physical way by healing people who are sick. It's actually like a foretaste of the cross. What we can see here is a foretaste of what's going to happen because he heals all who come. It's not just for some and on the cross he will die for all. The other thing beyond the healing is this driving out of spirits. A couple of verses I just wanted to uh, draw our attention to. Matthew 12, verse 28. If you've been doing the Bible reading plan, we read this uh, two or three days ago. Um, Jesus says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So what we're seeing here on the mountain is the kingdom of God coming in this moment. But if we look at Colossians... I'm getting you all over your Bible this morning. Make sure that you're awake. Uh, Colossians 2, um, verse 15. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So do you see what's happening up on the mountain here? Healing all, driving out demons. Both of these are a foretaste of what's going to happen on the cross when God heals us all, takes on all our wrongdoing, and he has victory over all evil spirits, and the victory is won. So it's an amazing... Sometimes you can just gloss over these verses, can't you? But as you look, you think, wow. No wonder Matthew pulls out that this is to fulfil that prophecy. So that's one reason why Jesus heals many isn't great, but the other reason is that it has completely glossed over those first two verses we read about Peter's mother-in-law. She's just kind of thrown into the mix with the many, uh, which I think is an absolute travesty. Uh, And actually, I've called this sermon up close and personal, because you see what happens in these two verses is that we see Jesus in private. Up on the hill, he's in public. People are coming to him, everyone sees But he goes into his disciples' house, and it's behind closed doors. And we get a beautiful insight into what Jesus does there. Matthew is, he has structured his gospel in a way that you have sort of three stories and then a period of teaching. So two weeks ago, Caleb looked at the man with leprosy. Last week, Nathan looked at the centurion's servant, And this is the third of that. Again, she should be given her own place. So we have Jesus reaching out to those who were seen as unclean in society. Then we see him there for the Gentiles, which is just a complete shock for the Jews. And now a woman. 
Now, in, in Jesus' time, in, 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 at this period of history, women did not have a good place. They were really almost like second-class citizens. Uh, they would have just been in the house. Uh, they wouldn't have had a voice. But Jesus here, and, and we, he does it in other parts of the gospel, doesn't he? He speaks to the woman at the well. That's why the disciples are shocked. He's speaking to a woman. Shock horror. Uh, the incredible fact that the first people who see the risen Jesus are women. Jesus affirms women. Uh, and in this, he is seeing a woman and he moves to heal her. Jesus surprises. He surprises us today. He goes on surprising. So Peter, we know one of Jesus' disciples, has responded earlier in Matthew to Jesus' call. But now we learn Peter has a family. He has a mother-in-law, so clearly he has a wife. Uh, and this is uh, his household. We don't know if this is Jesus' first time going into the house. He may have been there. In fact, it's quite likely that he used it as, her, as a base for his ministry when he was in Capernaum. We don't get any of that. We don't get any detail. He walks in and he sees Peter's mother-in-law. I wonder if I was Peter's mother-in-law, she must be really curious about who Jesus is. Who is this man that her son-in-law has just got up and left fishing and gone to follow him? But also, this is this man is so important that he's healing people that the news is spreading and he is in her house and her role is to be is to give that gift of hospitality is to care for him is to is to just make sure he has all that he needs that's that's what she would long to do but where is she she's in bed with a fever so there's no narrative in this little section in the other two there, it does come up in Mark and Luke as well. And in those passages, the disciples do tell Jesus that she's there. But Matthew hasn't included that. Matthew has kept it very much that Jesus sees her lying in bed with a fever. He touches her hand. The fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. It's very, very simple. So what's happening here? Why did Jesus respond in this way? I want to suggest there's three things we can see in this encounter, each of which speak to us about our own encounters with Jesus. Firstly, Jesus saw. Secondly, Jesus touched. And thirdly, Jesus restores. So first of all, this scene is actually intensely private, embarrassingly so in a way. You think, oh, it was probably a house where there was maybe a courtyard and the different rooms up and up, up off the courtyard, just one story. And she's in, in her bed. And having said what I've just said about women, that, that's a bit, I find that a bit, I would be embarrassed if I was lying in bed. But he sees her. He could have chosen just to, oh, this is a bit embarrassing, we'll just ignore that. But he sees her. As I've just said, that's not the cultural norm. Women were not noticed, but Jesus steps out of cultural norms. Jesus acts out of love, out of compassion, and he sees her. Jesus sees you. Wherever you are, however insignificant you may feel, Jesus sees you. But seeing isn't enough. There's... Uh, a great example of that in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke. A parable we probably know very well. This man is attacked by robbers, left on the road, 
and a priest walks by and a Levite walks by. And look what it says in Luke chapter 10, verses 31 and 32. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Seeing is just not enough, is it? These two saw and chose not to get involved. They saw and they moved on. We need to move from a place of seeing to a place of response. And it's love that propels that response. It's love that propels Jesus' response. So he doesn't just see, he touches. Now we just later on see that he goes up to the hill and he dries out spirits with a word. We've just seen at the end of last week's passage about the centurion's servant. He says, go. When you come home, you know, the servant will be healed. He could have done it with a word. He could have just said, fever, leave her. But just like with the, with the man with leprosy where he touches, he goes and touches her. Now, right now, that's a particularly poignant thought, isn't it? When we can only touch those in our own household. That sense of touch is just, we value it now more than we've probably ever valued it in our lives. Touch means get involved. Jesus gets involved. So he sees, he touches, but here's the area I just want to pull out all the different ways that Jesus restores because it is amazing. In choosing to heal her of this fever, there are so many layers to it. And one of them, by the way, isn't that it was just a little bit inconvenient of her to be ill, uh, better to get her healed so that she can get up and serve him. That was not one of the reasons, but there are many others. Firstly, Jesus heals big and small. He heals the cancer and he heals the cough. He's healed leprosy and he's now healing a fever, which would be seen to be not as bad. It will have been pretty bad because I think if she only felt marginally ill, she would have pushed herself through and, and, and done what she could. But however big or small you're, you may feel that you need healing for, then you can come to Jesus. He does not have some kind of hierarchy where below that he doesn't heal. I hope you've all experienced that. And also, even when not asking, she does not ask to be healed. There's no narrative. She is just there, ill. Even when we do not ask, Jesus loves and sometimes chooses to heal something. The second thing is it is a complete healing. She immediately gets up. Let's just remember when we're in bed with a fever, it has to leave immediately for us to be like, right, up we get, we feel completely better. It is a complete and total healing. Thirdly, he is deeply affirming of her as a person. He knows that her heart's desire is to serve him and, and, and her son-in-law and any others that have come into the house. That's her heart's desire. That's what she wants to be able to do. And I find this really quite moving. He releases her into full health to be able to serve. When I think of my own mother-in-law, I just see that same heart of service. When we arrive in Guatemala, which is where she lives, uh, we're obviously exhausted, long-haul flight, and 
her heart is just to serve us, to love us, to provide for us, to cook us our favourite meals and just do everything. She won't let me lift a finger when I'm there. I know that what she longs to do when we can one day get out there again is just that. Serve us in a way of cooking for us, caring for us, providing for us. That's who Jesus has made her to be. And that is what we see here with Peter's mother-in-law. Her role was caring for the family and actually to have Jesus, her Lord and Saviour, in the home and not be able to do that must have been torture for her, put her in deep distress. I was thinking it's perhaps like some great world-class brain surgeon and someone really significant needs surgery and on that day he can't perform it because he's ill with something and someone else has to stand in. The frustration of wanting to serve in that way. Or perhaps a police officer who is highly trained in counter-terrorism and just deeply desires to serve the nation with the skills he has. And on the day of a terrorist, terrorist attack, he is in bed with a fever and he can't go. It's that kind of frustration that they can't serve in the way that they have been um, wired to do, really. Whatever your role in life, however insignificant you may feel it is, particularly at this time, don't we all look and we just think, oh, all these people who are absolutely exhausted and all these things they can do and what, what can I do? And, and we can feel insignificant, we can, we can despise our lot even. Jesus looks at every single one of us and affirms us in who we are and in the gifting that he's given us. As I was walking down to church, I was just reminded of something I felt when I was at university, and I really felt God calling me to serve overseas, and I said to myself, well, I'm not a doctor or a teacher. I'm not a nurse or a teacher. I can't be used. And I was actually discounting myself. Jesus wasn't saying that. Jesus had a place for me as an accountant, but sometimes we can try and discount ourselves from his purposes. That's the same for the children as well. Whatever your situation now, however you feel, Jesus sees you, he touches you, he affirms you in who you are and what you're doing at this time. As he restores her health, I believe that she recognises her dependence on Jesus to carry out that gifting because she wasn't able to do it if he hadn't healed the fever. She recognises her dependence on Jesus, do we recognise our dependence on Jesus to do our giftings, to do the roles that he's given us? Fifthly, he releases her to serve. She then is able to jump up and what does she do? She starts serving. That's what she wants to do. She jumps up and she has been, uh, she's able to then be fulfilled in serving her Lord. Not because he demands it, but because out of love, her, her, her very soul wants to do nothing more than serve him. She's serving the king. She receives from Jesus and gives out. She is served, then she serves. Isn't that a beautiful pattern? Out of the resources that Jesus gives, she's able to pay it forward, to give it out. It's a beautiful model of loving one another, recognizing our dependence on God. As, as our source to enable us in the first place and then serving not out of our own strength but out of that dependence on him. We're not doing it to impress him and if we do we misunderstand 
what Jesus wants of us. And if we are acting in that way, then burnout, disillusionment, these things are not far off. We need to recognize Jesus as our source and to be propelled by love. And the final thing we see in this whole restoration process is that in restoring her health, she becomes part of God's bigger purposes. This is just so great to see. It's just exciting to reflect that she then gives nourishment to Jesus. So she, feed, you know, she goes back out, she serves him, she's feeding him, the disciples. She nourishes Jesus physically so that he can go out on that mountainside that we've just said where everyone's coming and he's healing all. Uh, and she is part of that purpose, part of the bigger picture of what God is doing here. Jesus is about to go out and fulfill prophecy from Isaiah and she has a critical role to play in nourishing him. Isn't that amazing? I just think that's so beautiful. So as you see, I, can, I believe quite a lot is happening in this simple scene and should certainly have its own title uh, and just those words about these two verses about this healing. I love the evidence too of Jesus's integrity. Out on the mission field, if you like, out doing the project, he is one. And behind closed doors, he is the same. He loves, he shows compassion, he has power and authority over sickness. It's the same Jesus, fulfilling prophecy as he goes, but quietly showing love, empathy, compassion. He sees Peter's mother-in-law, he moves forward and touches her, and then releases her into her ministry and brings full restoration in an encounter of such beauty and transformational quality that it takes your breath away. Do you know Jesus in that way? Has he ever taken your breath away in an encounter with him? I pray he has. I pray he has. As I have prepared, I believe that God wants us to think about the, the generic and the specific that sounds a bit weird, but we look at all these general promises, the ones that, that Caleb wrote on the dinghy, all these promises that are general. And sometimes we think, yeah, they're general promises and that's God, but when it comes to the specific and me, it's different. So when I think of that verse, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. But how many of us come to him and like, oh, God, help me. Oh, what are you seeing when you look at me? Do you just see failure? Are you disappointed in me? Do you even see me? We haven't taken that general promise and made it specific to us. And yet what does Jesus do? He heals all. He dies on the cross for all. The promises are for every single one of us. This is like a mini gospel, these four verses, because we have this foretaste, this foreshadowing of the cross, the healing of all, the taking on the infirmities of all, but also what that looks like up close and personal, what that looks like in a one-on-one -on -one encounter with someone. Don't miss that deeply personal encounter with Jesus. We are seen by him, we are touched by him.
we are restored by him. Lord, overwhelm us this morning. Overwhelm us with your love. Lord, we long for an encounter that takes our breath away. Help us this morning to recognise our dependence on you. Lord, for anyone who is tired and acting out of their own strength, Lord God, touch us this morning. Remind us that we depend on you and that out of that we give. Lord God, we pray we would know your restorative power. Experience your love and, Lord, your affirmation. Lord God, for anyone who feels unnoticed this morning, for anyone who feels like they do not matter, for anyone who feels like they haven't got a place in God's plans and purposes, Lord, would you affirm them this morning? Would you say to them, I see you, I love you, I reach out and touch you. For anyone who has never known the beauty, the power, the depth of an encounter with you, Jesus. Lord God, would you come this morning? Would you touch people? Would they know you like they've never known you before? Would it just all come to that beautiful moment of encounter? Lord God, help us to receive your gifting, your equipping to go out and serve to serve where we are placed in this time. Thank you, Jesus. We believe you will come this morning, that you will overwhelm us, that we would meet with you. Amen.